What's up, Videolanders? I'm your host, Brad Hawkins. Quick reminder, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook at Adventures in Videoland. Tonight, I talked with filmmaker and Roger Corman prodigy, Jim Wynorski. He's mostly known for his 80s classics like The Return of Swamp Thing, The Lost Empire, Deathstalker 2, and one of my favorite B-movies of all time, Chopping Mall. He's directed over 100 beer and pizza movies. Movies like... The Bear Winch Project, Paranocker's Activity, The Hills Have Thighs, The Devil Wears Nada, I like this one, House on Hooter Hill, The Bresford Wives, Alabama Jones and the Busty Crusade, Cleavage Filled, Cobra Gator, and Piranaconda. Those are just some movies in his body of work. I had a blast tonight talking with Jim about filmmaking, his thoughts on special effects, girls, killer robots, and why his next project is always his favorite. Please welcome the king of trash cinema, Jim Wynorski. Welcome to Videoland, Jim. Hi. So you worked with Roger Corman early in your career. How did you guys first meet? Uh, I met him um, in his office. Uh, but the, the, the fun thing is, I used to, I was working for... 20th Century Fox as a as a uh, location scout it was my second job uh, when I hit the uh, California coast, and they sent me to some place in Georgia, Athens, Georgia. <clears throat> and uh, coincidentally, with my arrival there, some girls in the in the, the dorm rooms were getting obscene phone calls, and of course they said. There's only one new guy in town. It's me. So I got fired. Oh, wow. And, and there was no way I could find it. They needed someone to fire, and I was the guy. <laughs> and the producer, Herbert B. Leonard, to his credit, knew that I wasn't involved. And he sent me home first class. And uh, on that first class flight... I'm thinking, oh my God, my, my career's, you know, done. But on that first class flight, I met a, a nice woman, and she says, you know, my, my friend is friends with Roger Corman. I can get you an interview next week. And I, I didn't kind of believe her, but she did. She set me up with Roger Corman the next week, and I went in there, and he had just lost his advertising person, and he hired me as his advertising person. This is like 1980. And uh, uh, I started the following week and I said, I don't care if I have to do advertising, I'm going to get Roger's ear now. I'll be so close, you know, I'm an office away. And so I took the job and I started doing advertising for him. He taught me how to cut trailers. And if you learn how to cut trailers, you can cut a movie too. So he had certain ways of cutting movies that were was very particular very you know you know intricate and I learned all of this when I was cutting movie trailers for him because he would look at one of my trailers and say that's okay but do this and this and this and he would always improve it and and usually it was a matter of cutting frames or adding a frame or two and Finally, I got the I got the picture. I, I I saw what he was attempting to do, which made it much better. And I applied that 
um, learning to everything I made in the early uh, portion of my career. I grew up with Roger. That's how I met Roger. Now, I've read something about a yellow pad of ideas. Can you explain that? Yes. Uh, just before I did Chopping Mall, he said, come on, I'm going to take you to lunch. And he took me to uh, you know a nice restaurant across the street. And he, and he, he told me to bring a yellow pad and paper. So I, you know, I brought a yellow pad and paper and he gave me all kinds of information and asked me questions uh, about how I would handle a scene. And it was like I got film school in two and a half hours. Wow. And there was more film school in two and a half hours than you'd ever get if you actually went to film school. Because he has very intricate questions, like uh, you're shooting into a phone booth. Um, what's the easiest way to shoot it and best way to shoot into a phone booth? Of course, there's no more phone booths, but <laughs> back then, <laughs> I, ans I answered with uh, a fancy style. I said, take the roof off and shoot down. He said, you don't have time to do that. And I said, okay. And then he said, the best way to shoot into a phone booth is shoot into the corner of the phone booth. Don't shoot straight on. That's awesome. Because t two in in intersecting walls gives you more depth. Wow, that's awesome. And if you apply that principle to any set ever, two intersecting walls is much better than shooting straight on. I mean, Ed Wood was guilty of that. He would shoot straight on and, and just do the, the back wall. But if you have two intersecting walls, if you, shut, you, shut, you shoot into any kind of corner, you're adding depth. Now multiply that question by about 150 others. Oh, wow. Do you still have that yellow pad of paper? Yes, I, yes, I do. That's awesome, man. I, I have a quote here from Roger Corman. He said, cheap tops the marquee. Cheap gets final cut. So have you been given final cut on most of your films? No. Okay. Well, now more, more so. But back then, let's take, for example, Chopping Ball. Chopping Ball, when I finished with it, was 87 minutes. And Roger came in and, and he cut 10 minutes out of the picture and I was devastated but now I look back and now it's running 78 minutes and it's non-stop and if I had been left to my own devices because I started to you start to love every frame yeah. you start to love every scene and because it's your beginning of your career you say hey, this is just great but it truly it, it wasn't great I only had a fight with him once where I had a, where I had, uh, I felt that his cut was was inappropriate, and I and, and I, I gave him reasons why, and he he backed down and let me have that cut. So, what are some of your favorite B movies then? What what movies inspired you? Back then, when I was growing up, Attack of the Crab Monsters, Not of This Earth, um, the Crater Mass movies. Uh, you know, I watched them all. House on Haunted Hill. I watched them all, and and I, and Carmen movies were my favorite. Attack of the Crab Monsters was one of my favorites. Scared me actually. 
And I, you know, I watched the Poe pictures and, and some stuff in there scared me. And, you know, I was, a, I was a kid. My mom would take me to the movies and drop me off. And I'd be in the theater alone. And even in, that, in, in the afternoon, it was dark in there. And I was alone watching a movie. You would never do that with a kid today. Just drop them off at the movies and, and drive away. But back then, it was I guess it was safer. But that's what my mom used to do. Money for popcorn. And, and, it, and she said, save a dime so you can call me when it's done. <laughs> Are there any movies that you've been impressed with lately? What do you think of the horror genre right now? You know, I, I, I think some of these movies, I, I like the Get Out. Uh, I like the, you know, I forgot the name, uh, where, the, where the sound is affecting the monsters. Oh, uh, Quiet Place. What was that called? Uh, Quiet Place? Quiet Place, yes. I thought those two... I thought those two films were really good. And, you know, so I stopped making, you know, cheap horror movies because they're not selling. Um, stuff I, I, I did in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s even, you know, those films are are, are fun, but they're, they're not, you know, wanted by the buyers anymore. Where's the market right now? What sells? Well, the market is like for theatrical horror and in video, it's changing dramatically because there's no more video stores and you have to make movies for uh, Netflix or Hulu or anything like that and they don't want those cheap B movies. You have a number of movies that have become cult classics. Which one are you proudest of? I've done 170 movies. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> That's I, didn't, a... I, didn't, I didn't realize I was doing so much. <laughs> yeah, so, some years I would direct six movies and produce a couple others or write a couple of others. So I was gung-ho back then. Uh, now not so much. I'm, I'm, I'm writing and directing, you know, two films a year, and I'm very happy at just doing that. Yeah, that, that keeps you busy just uh, with two films a year, though, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So what so, so what film are you proudest of out of all of those films? That's my always stock answer, the next one. The next one. Why is that? Yeah, because the next one is, is a challenge. Whatever it is, that's the one I'm, I'm, I, I concentrate on when I get up in the morning. And I say, what? How can I make this the best thing possible? You know, I have favorites among the ones I've done, and other people have favorites among the ones I've done, and you know, I can't, you know, I can't go back and change any of them. I wouldn't want to change any of them. I did them as best I could under the circumstances, and you know, had a lot of fun uh, with most of them. There's a couple of turkeys, like everybody, you know, you do 170 movies, you're going to make a couple of turkeys. For sure. Okay? You know, for the most part, I go back and I'm, you know, watching. A lot of the, a lot of them are being remastered now for, for um, Blu-ray, and I, I'm getting to see them again. They're looking marvelous, and also, uh, you know, kind of reacquainting myself with them. You know, films I haven't watched in years. Is it fun to sit down and do a commentary for an old film? Yeah, it is. 
Yes, it is. I, I've had, a, uh, I've done some commentaries recently, and uh, I can't say for which, but and they're coming. And, uh, uh, and you know, it's good to see these movies restored and looking as pristine as possible because they're going back to the original negatives and and or IPs, and they're just making beautiful, you know, two K or four K masters, and, and they look. Good. How long does it take you to shoot one of your movies? Just a typical shoot. Oh, they, it, it, it varies from from film to film. I would say the average is twelve days. Sometimes less. Sometimes I do them in ten. Sometimes it takes fourteen. A couple have been eighteen. One was twenty-two. So like it's like you know whatever whatever I have, I'll make use of. What's the fastest you've ever shot a movie? Two days. Wow, what was that? The Bear Winch Project. <laughs> That's awesome. I, sh- I shot that in two days up in uh, uh, near Big Bear. And uh, I only did it as a kind of a joke. I said, you know, if I, if I do something like Bear, you know, the Blair Witch, I might be able to sell it a few places, and I ended up selling it to Showtime of all people. Wow! The whole film cost me ten grand. That's awesome. And I and they paid me like eighty. That is awesome. <laughs> I said, "Hey, man, I just made seventy grand in two days." Yeah, that is okay. badass, man. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of laughed about that, but you know, I laughed all the way to the bank. <laughs> So you've directed. Yeah, it was fun because I was working with these incredibly beautiful chicks. I know, okay. right? <laughs> That's awesome, man. I mean, we were we stayed in a little. We had a little, you know, portable, you know, mini trailer which we kind of used as a bathroom, and then we stayed in a motel um, uh, one night and we partied till it it, it it the sun came up. It was a lot of fun. Well, so you've directed under a few different names. Why is that? Well, it was one one year. I don't remember what year it was, but um, you know, I was involved with eight, about eight movies, and they said we can't just have eight Jim Wynorski movies. <laughs> so I added. I said, just take my first initial J and add my middle name Andrew and make J Andrews. And if, you know, if it was something I was kind of like, you know, on the fence about, I would use, you know, something other like uh, Tom Papatopoulos or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Do your movies play well overseas at all, or are they pretty much just for? I get I get big checks, so they must be playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, every four, three or four months, like it's quarterly, I get a nice check in the mail, and I say, wow. Look at all the films that played in Europe and Asia. I don't think they pay a lot in Asia, but certainly in Europe, you get a lot. You get some dough every time they run one of these things. That's awesome. So you you've worked with some very beautiful and talented women. Who's your favorite to work with? Uh, I can't even tell you. There's so many beautiful oh, man. girls. Come on. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> when I first came out here, I I met up with uh, Raven Delacroix from Russ Meyer's Up, and. I started going out with her, and she ended up being in Screwballs and The Lost Empire. And then, you know, uh, uh, and I'm still friends with her till this day. 
And, um, but, you know, I've worked with Kelly Maroney, Barbara Brampton, uh, Angie Dickinson, Julie McCullough, Tracy Lords, Heather Locklear, uh, Nicole Eggert. Man. The, the list, of, the list, the list yeah. is, you know, come on, it's wow. endless. And, and, and each one of these babes, and I'm only mentioning a handful of them. Yeah. And they, you... <laughs> they were all gorgeous. Terry Copley, uh, Erica Leniak. Uh, it's wow. just the list goes on and on and on. You dated a few of them, didn't you? Yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Man, did you ever get married? That'd be hard to get married in your uh, in your no, final work. I never work. got married. <laughs> I, I, I felt it was going to be a, a loss. <laughs> right. I mean, I've been going out with one girl for a long time, and that's one of the stars of one of my movies. Her name is um, Rocky DeMarco. Okay. And and uh, you know, but I'm still friends with you know Dominique Swain, Tracy Lords. I'm still friends with them all. Julie K. Smith. All of them, you know, are still top notch. And you even worked with a very young Jennifer Love Hewitt, you know, on Munchie and Little Miss Millions, which I think was her first feature length films. So, do you consider yeah. yourself the one that discovered her or jump started her career at all? I would say that I did. I would say, I, 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 when I hired her for Munchie, I said, this girl's great. I'm going to write a film for her. Okay? And while I was writing, um, I think I did Munchie, and then I, I jumped right to an awful movie called Sins of Desire with Tanya Roberts, who I hate. And while I was shooting Tanya that movie, I said, I, I'm just going to write a movie for Jennifer. Um, uh, and so as soon as I finished the Tommy Roberts movie, I went to Hawaii for a couple of weeks with uh, one of the other stars of, of Desire Not Done, yeah. And while I was on the beach, I wrote Little Miss Millions. And when I came back, I got it financed and we made it. And uh, it was USA Network's Christmas movie for like two years running. I was very pleased that she went on to such success. Well, maybe you can get her back in like a sequel to Dinosaur Island or something. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I, the last time I saw her, I don't think you'd want to see her in Dinosaur Island. Yeah, she really. Gained, I think she gained a considerable amount of weight. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, doesn't matter to me. I mean, she's a sweetheart. That's awesome. All the way. I made two movies with her. And, you know... And then I saw her, saw her jump to, you know, I think that party of five or whatever it was, and she just became a, a, a big star. Yeah, and you've also worked with some famous actors, one of those actors being Corey Haim later in his career. So what was that experience like? Corey Haim was, was a great kid. He had, he had a lot of talent, but because of his addictions, he was he was tough to you know maintain. I had to have a, he had to have a babysitter. Really? Yeah. He was in his twenties at that time too, wasn't he? Early twenties. I don't know how old he was, but he, you know, I had to hire someone just to watch over him. Wow. And you know, I thought, oh my god, you know, you know, with all his talent he's got, why is he doing this? Wow, so those early signs of substance abuse were there then, huh? They were there. Can't deny it. 
Let's talk about one of your favorite movies of mine. Um, it would be impossible to talk about all your movies, man, but my favorite movie of yours is Chopping Mall. I bet you've never heard that one before, have you? No, I never heard that. I think it's the third time today someone said it. Said that. <laughs> you know what, though? I'm, uh, I was born in 1978, and so I grew up on horror films, but uh, I was late to the game on this you're one. You're a punk. You're yeah. a punk kid. <laughs> right? And I uh, I was uh, late to the game on this, man. I didn't watch Chopping Mall, I think, until probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Late to oh the game. God, yeah, I right. fucking love it, though, man. Oh, my God. It's a lot of fun to make. Um, I owned them all for, I think it was, I think that was one of the ones that, you know, shot over 20 days. Because we had to leave them all at, you know, dawn. And we couldn't start till like nine o'clock at night. And, but it was so much fun. I, I was on a crazy, you know, night schedule. So I had to sleep during the day. Um, I was, you know, lo I was lo loving working with Kelly Maroney and Barbara Crampton and um, there's a girl named Carrie Emerson and Susie Slater, who I, uh, I blew her head up. And, uh, I love that scene. <laughs> and it was great working with Dick Miller and Paul Bartell and Mary Warnoff. And um, I don't know if you've ever noticed that Angus Scrim is in the movie and uh, uh, in a small role. I don't even show him in close-up. Um, That's and, awesome. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, he's one of the one of the guys, one of the people that stands up during the beginning scene where they're being asked questions about the robots. He's one of the guys who stands up and, and, and he was working under his, his real name, which was Rory Guy. And um, and I worked with him on Lost Empire and I just said, come on down, Angus, and, and do a little bit in um, Chopping Mall. And he said, I don't want to, I don't want to recognize you for doing that. I said, I'll, I'll, I, I won't give you any close-ups. Just come make, make 500 bucks and <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And he did. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to look for that now, man. And then you brought up Dick Miller, man. Dick Miller just—I don't know—he uh, he gives some prestige to that movie a little bit, doesn't he? You know, I loved—I loved working with him. He hated working with me. Really? I why? Never, I never worked with him again. Huh? Why was that? I don't know. But we had—we had—we were uh, not, you know, besties on that picture. <laughs> I only worked with him for three hours. And he was a big, you know, man in the ass. A big dick. Yeah, he was a big dick, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I couldn't say anything because I had hired his wife as a script supervisor who was excellent in, the, in that job. And, uh, you know, I never got an answer as to why he was so pissed at me. Man. So Chopping Mall released under a different title. It released under Killbots. Why the name change? Because yeah, uh, it... It, it didn't make any money under that title. The original title it was shot under was Robot, and then it changed to Killbots, and we had a test screening in Arizona, I think in Phoenix, and it died. Even oh. with ads and everything else, nobody came to see it. So Roger pulled the picture, brought it back to Conklin. He said, Jim, you made a good picture, but Something's wrong. We're not getting our audience. He said, "Why don't we watch it again? See, see what we can, you know, 
gleaned from watching it again. So while we were watching, there was a guy, a janitor in the office, not in the office, in the screening room, uh, changing light bulbs. And as the lights came up, he was finishing his work and we, and he heard us over, you know, talking uh, about what to do. And he says, why don't you just call it Chopping Mall? And <laughs> Roger awesome. and I looked at each other and, I, and Roger first blurted out, he says, we're half off, it's just the beginning. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're shopping, cost you an uh, arm and a leg. <laughs> That's a great line. And he said, go make that poster. <laughs> so I jumped at it. I went right to right to my office and redid the poster and redid redid the trailer and, and, and called it shopping mall. And we put it out again in I think Tucson in two weeks after and it went through the roof. Made a lot of money. So what what was the original design of the poster for Killbots? It was a shot of it was a big shot of the robot. Okay. It was well done artwork, but it didn't sell the movie. So did you come up with the did you come up with the art for um, Chopping Mall? Yes, I did. That's a that's a that's a great image, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's two piece, there's two versions of it. There's the one I did, and there's the one Vestron did, which I think is better because um, they had a better artist. Is that the one with the you mechanical know. claw gripping the the bloody shopping bag? Yeah, but I did one like that, and then they redid it, and they redid it better. So there's two versions of that. But, you know, both of them are the same concept. And that's what... Another thing I learned from working for Roger is that people go to movies based on intent of, of, of what you're selling. You know, they smell the bacon, okay? Sometimes they... They don't like what they're smelling. It smells bad. They don't go. Other times, they smell the bacon and they say, wow, I want breakfast. And they go. So, again, the title means everything and the concept means everything. Did you ever have anybody come out of the theater and like, where was the chopping? You know, they, uh, you know a, a couple of fuckheads have said that. <laughs> and, I, and I say, fuck you. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. If you don't like it, turn it off. Okay. <laughs> and and I, I don't ever plan on doing a remake. You know, I, 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 people have said that they're going to do a remake, but they've never come to me to get the rights. So, yeah, I don't have any intention of giving it away unless you know somebody writes a check for a million bucks. Maybe I will. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a guy out there named director Robert Green Hall. And I guess he's he's a bunch of he's horseshit. Okay, well his his idea I think is horseshit too. Then because he wants to replace killer robots with possessed mannequins, is that right? He's, it's never gonna happen. Well, thank God. I mean that's why it's you never go, gonna happen. That's why Chopping Mall is so awesome because of robots, right? I mean mannequins or a slasher in the mall. I mean who gives a piss about that? I mean it's about the robots, yeah, right? Vestron originally came to Corman and said, we want a film about a killer in a mall. That's exactly what they said. We want a film about a killer in a mall. And, and Julie Corman, Roger's wife, said, what are, what are your ideas? And I got together with a pal of mine named Steve Mitchell. And 
uh, we came up with an idea about, you know, eight kids trapped in a mall with these robots. And Vestron loved it. Because uh, it wasn't what they want. It wasn't what they thought, you know, when they, when they heard about it, they said, you know, um, uh, this is a great idea. And so that's how it got made. So do you own the rights to Chopping Mall then? I, I, I co-own them. And nobody can make a move without seeing me first. So what's this guy talking about then? Is he just trying to... He's talking through his, he's talking through his hat. <laughs> uh, okay. So would and you would you ever do a sequel then? No. No? You're just going to keep it how it is? It's probably the smartest thing to do, isn't it? You know, watch the first one again. I don't want to make Jaws 2. <laughs> right. Okay. So I want to ask you a question about Beastmaster 2, man. I grew up with the original Beastmaster... And you were supposed to direct and write the screenplay for the sequel. So how did you get involved and how did you get screwed over? Uh, I didn't get screwed over. But they attempted to do it. Okay. They attempted to screw me over. I got involved when Sil- Silvio Tabot um, commissioned myself and R.J. Robertson, my co-writer at the time, to write uh, an outline for Beastmaster 2. So we did. And then we wrote a script. And then Wings Hauser came in and put his name on the script. And I was supposed to direct it, and I was out without compensation. So, uh, I, you know, I let them make the picture. And as soon as the picture was done, I contacted my lawyer and said, sue everybody. Oh, wow. Because I knew they were trying to sell it to Republic Pictures. And you can't sell anything to Republic Pictures or any other, any big distributor distributor, uh, distributor without having a clean bill of health. Okay? And I, lay, I laid lawsuits on them all. And, and, and it started to tick down to the point where, you know, Republic Pictures wouldn't take the picture if there was a lawsuit against it. So I just waited and waited and waited because the, the, I knew that their, 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 uh, their time limit was, you know, very, very, you know, they had a very short amount of time before the film had to be picked up and, you know, worked out and released. So I, I think it was like two or three days before the film was supposed to go to Republic, and they called me in to a meeting over in Westwood, and they said, what, what do you want? And I said, well, I want some money, <laughs> and I want, I, want, I, want, I want credit in the main titles. And we worked it out, and I walked away with a nice big check, and I got my credits in the main titles, which I did, which I deserved. Did you have fun writing Beastmaster too? Yes, I did. And the, the director Silvio Tabit didn't have a clue um, about the script he was directing. He called it through the portal of time. <laughs> <laughs> 
which it wasn't. In the script, Beastmaster's world, Beastmaster's world coexisted with ours. And they were make, they were doing a transfer between our world and their world. And it wasn't a time travel thing. And he was so stupid that he <laughs> called it through the portal of time, which is wrong. Okay? And he 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 was he was so dumb that he 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 messed up the title. Damn. I liked the movie. Um I thought it was well done. And uh you know, Wingshauser who I've worked with, you know, looked like he was gassed through the whole picture. But you know, that is what it is. So uh and it was good to see Sarah Douglas again who I'd worked with in uh Beastmaster not in Return of Swamp Thing. So tell us how'd you get involved with Swamp Thing then? Uh, Michael Uslin, who uh, was out of New York, called me one day and said uh, he'd heard about me and would I be interested in directing um, a, a Swamp Thing sequel? And of course I said yes, because I'm a big comic book fan. Oh, cool. So did you enjoy the Alan Moore comics then? Yes, I did. Absolutely. And I said, well, he says, what would you do if you, you were directing? I said, well, first of all, I'd change that awful costume. Uh, and you know I, I give Wes Craven a lot of credit because it's always tough to do the first one uh-huh. okay so uh, I give him a lot of credit I thought he did you know, a nice job but if he'd had a better costume he would have been way ahead of the game so uh, they allowed me to make a new costume and um, they gave me a script which was kind of wishy-washy and I got together with my good pal and I, John Terleski, who had played Death Stalker and had also been in Chopping Mall, and we kind of rewrote the script. Oh, nice. And we added the two kids, and we had, you know, our own little takes on, on, on a lot of things. So, supposedly Alan Moore doesn't watch any of the film adaptations of his comics, so what do you think he yeah. would say about Return of Swamp Thing, or do you give a shit? <laughs> you know something? Who cares? <laughs> it, 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 it's gotten a lot of nice press recently because of the Blu-ray. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm thrilled that they went back and did a nice, you know, rest, restoration. Did you do a commentary for that as well? I did a commentary for the original DVD that Image put out, and then I did a new commentary for this new version. Oh, nice. so, and they're both on the, on the Blu-ray. Yeah, I have a friend that just picked that up. It's been years since I've watched. I'm looking forward to going back and watching it again. Oh, it looks phenomenal. looks phenomenal. It was great to, to, to see it the way it, it you know was supposed to look. And I think Return of Swamp Thing released a month before Tim Burton's Batman. Is that right? You know, I don't remember. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Did you, <laughs> did you ever want to direct any other DC properties or, or any comic book movies? Well, I did Vampirella. That was a that was a bust. That was a that was meddling from top to bottom, and and Showtime wanted Talisa Soto, and she was absolutely so wrong for the for the part. Um, when we went to Vegas, there was you know something going on, and it was like it was bad from start to finish. The only good thing was I was working with you know Roger Daltrey, and who was a big good guy and who um, would sing 
in front of his trailer <laughs> at, at, at lunch every day. <laughs> so you hear all these Who songs. <laughs> and, they were, and they were live while you were eating lunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so that was just a bust then, huh? You did not enjoy making that film at all? No. It was in Vegas. It was 115 degrees every day. Um, and, and there was theft on set. Uh, Talisa Soto, who was a nice person, wasn't Vampirella. And, I, you know, and I, it, it, sometimes you just, it, you can't fight City Hall. Is that why you so, never, is that why you never made another uh, superhero movie then? Was because your experience with that or? Yeah, I was kind of put, put off by it. <laughs> you know, I let other people do it. I like action movies more than I like superhero movies. And I've noticed your last few films are very family-oriented. Uh, do you enjoy going from uh, your tits-and-ass movies to family movies? What's that transition like, man? You know, it, it's fun because I was, I'm working with kids and I'm working with animals, and they're both great, <laughs> contrary to what they say. <laughs> uh, and also, I'll, I'll give you another thing. Uh, in this day and age, uh, the only things that the only movies that get into Walmart and Best Buy and Target are family movies from independence. You do a movie about five girls in a haunted house, it's going to go on an eight-pack. <laughs> and, and being a, a round circular bin for five bucks, you'll make no money. Well, so, okay? so family movies sell better than tits and ass then now. Uh, well, look what's in the DVD uh, section of your, of your favorite store. There's no more blockbusters and there's no more video stores. So what's popular now, you got to go where the go where the, you know, the money is. And the money now is in family movies. Is that a hard transition though? Are you filming the Christmas no, family movie? No, I've made kids movies before. I made Munchie, Munchie Strikes Back, Little Miss Millions. <laughs> I made kids movies before. I like and I like working with kids. That's awesome. Cuz they're very fresh and they bring you know, novel ideas to your show. That's cool. Let's let's talk about special effects. I mean, do you prefer practical over CG, or has the technology helped you to get your movies out faster? Yeah, well, CG is great, and it, 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 but now I, I look at it as like I don't I don't even want to do a CG movie. There's so many of them, and I'm sick of seeing you know entire cities destroyed. I'm done with that. You know, give me something different. Yeah. I mean, I went to see Skyscraper yesterday. I bet that was hell. Yeah, it was just, you know, I've seen it all before. It's like it's like Die Hard, right? But he's like, without having shoes, they take away his leg? You know, all I know is I, I sat through it. It was okay. But it's all CG, and, and I'm sick of that. Yeah. Die Hard, I don't think there was an ounce of CG back then. 1988. Exactly. It was all it was all practical, and that's what made it good. There was some actual threat here. There was nothing. So you do as much in camera as possible, then. Yeah. Well, I I try to. Have you ever had any bad experiences where you had to do some CG shots and you send it out and you know you you see the final product and you're like, what the hell is this? Uh, Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre. I had to throw most of the effects out and then have them redone. 
Wow. Did that, so did you make any money off that picture then? Not a dime. Wow. I mean, I like the picture, but because the movie, because the effects guys blew it, the first guy, the effects guy just blew it. And when I saw how bad it was, I said, I'm going to throw it out. Ended up suing the guy. Wow. Did you win? You know something? I think it was. I'll just leave this. Leave it to say that you know I didn't lose. That's good. So, with about two hundred movie credits to your name, do you find that there's still a challenge left for you out there? No. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> at least you're honest. Man. I love your honesty, man. I love it. <laughs> no, I'll do any. I'll do anything for 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 fun, you know. But I don't think there's a challenge out there. I know you probably just jump right in there, man, and you just know how to get your shots and you're. You're a journeyman. Yeah, you you know, probably get in and get out. Movies, these dog movies were fun. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you haven't seen them, but what they are are Warner Brothers cartoons. Um, so kids can enjoy them, but um, so can adults. I put a lot of adult humor, G-rated adult humor, in these movies that, you know, if, if mom and pop are watching the show with their kids, they're going to laugh at different things. Because there's a lot of, a lot of, of hidden adult humor. I said, if I'm going to make one of these things, I'm going to make one that's, that's um, got a little uh, uh, juice in it. So all three doggone movies have Humor for kids and humor for adults. That's interesting. Did you? Uh, who'd you sell that to? Is it uh, like cable? Sony took them all. Okay. Sony took them all. They're putting the three of them out again in I think September or October for for the Christmas crowd. So right now, if I gave you a blank check and unlimited resources, what would your next movie be? A blank check and ultimate. You know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I do. Anything actually. you want. I have a movie that nobody wants to ever make, <laughs> but I want but I want to make. Okay? Okay. Um and it's because it's it's just an interesting premise to me. And uh it's about uh God. And um uh about these it takes place in the future, and there's some weird thing coming toward the Earth, and it's going at a fantastic rate of speed, and this spaceship is caught in the, without caught in the, in the path of it and can't get away from it. They're, they're trying to, but they can't get away, and they decide to use a black hole to go back and try to retrieve Jesus Christ and bring him back into the future to stop this thing that's coming to destroy uh, everything. Are there going to be naked chicks in it? Nope, not, not a one. See, that's the problem. Yeah. That's why they don't want to make it. <laughs> you know, I, it's, more like, it's, more, it's more like the, the premise is so so odd that I, I, I if I had unlimited resources and a lot of money, I would just make it for myself. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'm still doing films, and I'm still making fun, making up a good time, 
then, you know, and it, it, you look at these doggone movies, you can name some hot chicks in these doggone movies. You got Dominic Swain, you got uh, Cindy Lucas, you got, you know, you know, I don't put them in, I don't put them in overly sexual outfits, but they're there. I mean, Monique Gabriel was in Munchie, and uh, so was Tony Naples and, and uh, Lonnie Anderson. I'm not going to make a family movie without a bunch of without <laughs> a bunch of hot chicks on set. So what, what would what would that Jesus Christ movie be called? I don't know. I don't know. It, I have the premise for it, and I know what how it happens. They go back and they just so you're aware in the Bible the um, when Jesus is taken off the cross, he's put into a a cave. And he disappears for three days. And nobody ever explains in the Bible where he's been. They come back three days later, he's there, and he's, and he's better. Okay? So my premise was that I've always asked myself, why did they write this story into the Bible and not say where he was? This is in the Bible. And they come back, and he, he's okay, and he goes up into space. And my theory was somebody came and got him. <laughs> and that's why he's missing for three days. And that's the length of my story in the future. Three days. All right, I have this little idea. You can take it if you want to, but I'm thinking a two-day shoot, naked chicks, and dinosaurs. No, no. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got one, I've got one like that. Where uh, but not with uh, Jesus in it. Not with Jesus in it. That would be a cool classic. It's called Stone Age. <laughs> and it's about, you know, a cave girl and a dinosaur that are brought through time. Uh, to Area 51, and they both escaped into Las Vegas. Oh, that's all. I got to tell you something, man. Um, I've been trying to... I haven't tried real hard, but I haven't watched Dinosaur Island. All right? I've seen most of the, the, the cult classics, man, and I've tried to look for it a few times, and I keep on finding a Dinosaur Island that was made in 2014 with a bunch of young kids. You know? Oh, fuck that. <laughs> you, you, I type in Dinosaur Island, it takes me to a movie... From 2014, so I need to look a little bit harder. I'm just gonna fuck it. I'm just gonna yeah, order you it from. Do, because that's a, a Dinosaur Island is a fun movie. I was at, you know, all I know is one, that one. I was at a party and Joe Pesci came up to me and said, "You direct Dinosaur Island?" I said, "Well, partially." It's <laughs> what's my favorite movie. That's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> now I have to see it. Like I've, I've really tried to find it, and uh, I watched the trailer like you know, like twice today. I'm like, man, I gotta fucking watch this movie now. So it's kind of stuck in my head. Fred and I, Fred Ray and I, uh, love this old movie from the early 50s called Untamed Women. And it's about five guys who crash land in a plane and end up on this island with all these, these, these hot chicks. And I said, let's just remake that as Dinosaur, Dinosaur Island. And we did. And it was, a lot, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. How come you never made any sequels to that? Just keeping it by itself? You know, it, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, and, and 
I never felt that it was it was meant to have a, a sequel. I always say, you know, watch it. Watch the first one again. Awesome. Well, tonight we're almost done here. Uh, when we get All done. Right. When we get done, I am going to Amazon, and I'm going to see if I can find it on there. I'm going to order it right after this conversation. All right. Well, I'll be, I'll, how about try YouTube? Maybe it's on YouTube. Oh, good call. Good call. Yeah. So when you look back, when you look back on your career, man, what's that one film you want to be remembered for? What film do you want preserved in the Exploitation Hall of Fame? Probably Chopping Mall. That's awesome. I mean, that's the one everybody loves, so. Let's so, leave it at that. Let's end on Chopping Mall, Jim. It's been a blast talking with you. Where can Video Land find you? On Facebook, I guess. Any final words from the King of Trash Cinema? Have fun. Knock yourself out. Watch my movies. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll just say uh, I enjoyed uh, talking. Right on. Thank you very much for your time, sir. All right. Take care now. To all our listeners, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com. Uh, you can find us on our Instagram, on Facebook. That's where the conversation begins and ends. Until next time, my good people, stay trashy. Yeah.